Blog Talk Radio. All right, I'm going to cut. I'm going to cut the opening music real quick because we've got we've got another huge show coming up for you. Stephen Brandt and Keith Kokinda with Yellow Card Podcast. Um, Keith, Keith comes to me with names people to have on the show, and of course I, I inundate him with names like Rodney Marsh and big names. And he, he came to me about what was it about a month ago? He talked to, talked to me about who we have coming up, and he said you want you wanted to. You wanted to do a set. You wanted to do the first half hour about the indoor soccer league. For people who don't know, he's one of his many other things he's done is he's worked in the indoor soccer leagues for well years, probably longer than I've been alive, which is going to make him make well, him have that, another great year. Not that far. Yeah, <laughs> it's been about so, but uh, almost ten years in different indoor, so three different indoor soccer leagues. And sometimes I do feel ten, but anyway. Uh, so, but we're fortunate. We have we have we have the owner of the Rochester Lancers, Soccer Salmon. How are you doing, man? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming out. We appreciate it. Uh, you know, this obviously this is for those who have been aware. There have been um, there's been an ongoing uh, thing over the last couple of years with the two indoor soccer leagues. There's a major indoor soccer league. Uh, which you have been a part of, uh, that is owned by the United Soccer Leagues. There's also the Professional Arena Soccer League, which is much more expansive, but done on a little bit smaller scale. And, um, of course, this past season, uh, the the MISL and the USL uh, came out with a statement right after the, uh, the championship when the Missouri Comets won. I had to remind myself to say Missouri Comets and not Kansas City Comets. But um, what the MISL uh, has did is um, they put out a statement um, about uh, about the future of the league. Um, but at the same time, a number of teams, such as Missouri, Baltimore, and Syracuse, uh, were at the end of their contracts with the uh, MISL and USL. And Sam, if I if I get anything wrong, please feel free to jump in. Just trying to give a little background sure. on this, but. These team, these three teams went and signed on to join the Professional Arena Soccer League as they were out of contract. And as I understand it, Sam, the MISL-USL contract does require that the MISL does have to have six teams in it. Am I correct? Yes. Okay. So at this point, you're down to less than six teams. And in the MISL statement, it includes... Includes the following, and I'm quoting here from their uh, their press release that they put out. The MISL refuses to compromise or otherwise relax standard as a shortcut to increasing the number of teams in the immediate term, and to the contrary, believes that it's the proper time for ownership standards to be increased in order to best position this league for long-term success. If that means it becomes necessary for us not to have a 2014-2015 season schedule, then that is a route we are prepared to pursue. Now, in your case, uh, Sam, I believe you, your team, the Rochester Lancers, are out of contract as well. Am I correct? Yes, we are. Okay, but you're in a little bit of a dispute here in regards to actually getting your formal release from the uh, MISL and USL to be able to pursue whatever other options you see, you see fit. Am I right? 
Yeah, I mean, in our case, we just we haven't gotten a release yet. Um, had a kind of some stipulations we had to cover and, and you know straighten out some things. But uh, I mean, the bottom line is USL decided to focus their their efforts and their manpower on outdoor soccer. They have an affiliation with MLS. Uh, they're getting USL pro teams. You know, some are paying up to five hundred thousand dollars for a franchise fee. They want to put their efforts into outdoor soccer and Edhale and guys that have been around indoor soccer for years and years obviously want to keep the indoor soccer game alive. So they kind of have merged, um, you know, brain powers with uh, the Kansas City owners, Kansas City Comets owners, or the Missouri Comets, as you said, uh, Missouri owner Comets, Baltimore Blast owners, now kind of joined up with Kevin Milliken and Phil Salvaggio of the PSL, and they're creating a super indoor league. Yeah, and one of the things you had said was when this all happened, you would say you want you – why to stand with teams like Syracuse, Baltimore, and Missouri for those very reasons. And I find it interesting because, first of all, I have seen previously the documents and financial requirements for getting a USL franchise, and, and your figure's accurate. I, I, I've seen that firsthand. But I also find it interesting that on the USL soccer website, there is no mention at all of the MISL at this time. Now, my question to you is, first of all, if, if they're not going to continue on with the 20, at least with the 2014-2015 season, how can they justify not releasing you so you can pursue an option with the PASL? Because another thing you point out is you have some arena issues you have to deal with, too, in terms of new management, right? Well, definitely. You know, I think in all cases, the contract states that when your contract's um, – uh, when you've fulfilled your contract, you get a release based on these stipulations. I obviously must have uh, not met my stipulations, and one of them being um, I, I said some comments about um, their comments. I, I, I reacted to Tim Holt's comments um, that our ownership, uh, you know, we, he, they were looking to go in a, in a better direction with different owners, whatever, and I kind of reacted to that. And I think we've worked it all out. We haven't gotten a release yet. I think we're really close to it. So the roster Lancers will have a release um, soon from the USL, and then hopefully you know, we can go in a new direction. Well, I'm glad to hear that because I, I found it right when I first saw the story, I found it rather strange that there wasn't an automatic release of these teams from the league uh, once the contract had expired. Uh, I'm sure it's probably a little complicated, but you, you mentioned some of the things you said. Nice. I read some of the comments in, about how, you know, basically you're focused, you, you, you know, you're committed to the indoor game. You want to see it grow. More importantly, you want to see it done properly. And your feeling was you know, the USL really wasn't all that interested in it. Uh, what, did they ever try to, have they ever tried to justify you, say, well, that don't, why? Other than maybe something that was in the contract that maybe you had, uh, weren't necessarily aware of at first, did they try to justify as to uh, in any way why they weren't releasing you, whereas they were all released uh, Syracuse, Baltimore, and Missouri? Well, I, I think um, Syracuse, Rochester, and Norfolk had different contracts um, than the other teams because we had joined the league prior to the MISL merger. Um, Syracuse was released late, also. Um, in our case, we were, you know, we. I made some comments I shouldn't have made, and maybe you know uh, it could, I, we could have got released a lot quicker. Um, and there was some some bond issues, but bottom line is I, I think we're past that. Um, 
I, you know, my opinion, you asked me about liking indoor soccer, liking I personally think indoor soccer is the future of soccer in America. Maybe not in the world, but in America, I think indoor soccer is the future. Um, I, I think if you follow, if you take the time to follow MLS or USL Pro um, or NASL, I think any league like MLS that's, that invests or loses billions and billions of dollars you're definitely going to start to see the success of it, but you'll never recoup the billions of dollars you lost. And then you look at the USL Pro and the NASL, if you look at the attendance and the sponsorship, whatever, I think the indoor league that are current in existence are have surpassed that. So I think if we could put together this super league, 20-plus teams, national sponsors, national TV, national radio, guys like you, guys kind of getting behind it a little bit, I think this thing can be big, and I think America accepts it. Um, I think America struggles with watching the English Premier League, the Bundesliga, um, the UEFA Cup, the World Cup, and then you watch either MLS or USL Pro or NASL. It's just, it's just at a different level, and it's tough for America to accept that. Where I think indoor soccer implements in hockey, lacrosse, a little bit of basketball with a three-point shot, and and the, and the beauty of the game of soccer all into one, and I think indoor soccer is the future in American soccer. Well, I can tell you, I'm, I'm of these. I remember, uh, you know, the original MISL days, and I was a Cleveland Force fan. I went to, I had a season ticket for like four or five years. Went on dozens of road trips. Uh, was uh, was very involved in the annual uh, convention that we had every year uh, throughout the '80s and into the '90s. Uh, obviously, though, you know, it's a different time. You know, back in, in the early mid-'80s, the outdoor game had more and it was pretty much, I wouldn't say dead, but it was hanging on by a thread. You certainly didn't have an MLS-type league in place by any stretch of the imagination. Even, even USL Pro was just getting started in, in, the, in those days. You know, I've worked, uh, you know, I, worked in, I also worked in the, the National Professional Soccer League. The, it was originally the American Indoor Soccer Association that started in the mid-'80s as a small small city alternative to the MISL. And as I said, I worked the last three or four years in the professional arena soccer league as well. I think that the PASL concept and business model, while it might not necessarily be perfect, I think it, it's, the, it's the best way, the best structure for the game at this particular point because it, you know, it has gone... I, I don't want to say the game's regressed necessarily, but it, it's a different kind of talent pool. It's a different atmosphere as far as the outdoor game is concerned, or it's a lot more popular and prevalent than it was the, than it was back in the, the mid '80s to say mid 1990s before the formation of MLS. And I, I you know obviously some of the teams that play in some of these recreational type facilities is not an ideal situation because there really is a there's not a whole lot of cities that have a reason to seat like let's say two to eight thousand people uh, do you, can you can you envision a scenario where the, where the PASL especially that the super league you talk about can get to a point where it is playing in nothing but conventional type of arenas and become a more national thing rather than playing in just regions like they do now I think it's about to happen I think you're going to see an announcement really soon and I think all the teams in the new league whatever it's called are going to be in those type of arenas and, and again you know, obviously you guys have been around soccer for a real long time if you study the history, let's say probably the most successful team in, in the history of American soccer is the New York Cosmos. I mean, a couple of years before the Cosmos signed Pelé and Beckenbauer, 
they're playing in front of you know 500 people on a field, and you know with glass on, on the gra- on, on on the pitch and everything else. I mean, I've read Chef's book. I know. I've seen the stories. <laughs> so you know those stories. All, and then, all and then of you, us have read it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then and then if you follow like you know if you follow USL Pro or A League, and then in Toronto, Toronto drew no no one when they were in USL Pro, and then they went to MLS. And the same thing goes for Seattle. Seattle drew nobody, you know, 500 fans a game. And now look what Seattle's doing in the MLS with, with billions of dollars behind them, billions and billions of dollars invested into that league. But look what they're doing now. I think the same scenario goes right here. And, yeah, yeah, there's some cities in indoor soccer that might be only drawing 1,000 people right now or 1,200 people right now. But I think once it becomes a super league, national TV, national radio, you know, big name, maybe ex-national team players joining the league, um, big name people kind of supporting the league, um, I, I think you're going to see a big turnaround like you did back in the days of the NASL when, when, when it took off, the original NASL. Well, you, well, 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 you talk about the player pool, and that's something that, I, I've, uh, that I've talked about a lot as being, uh, as being one of the issues indoor soccer has to deal with is, you know, the, obviously you know, the national team players are all going to either play in MLS or go overseas if they possibly can. But even players who aren't good enough for MLS, you know, they can go to E. They've got the option of going to the NASL or, or the USL Pro divisions. And while it's probably not enough to make a full-time living, you know, I don't. And uh, the the indoor option uh, for those kind of players that I'm sure you'd love to get in the league. Uh, how do you attract them? Number one, uh, and to play indoors and maybe make it a year-round thing. And number two. Are there any sort of impediments in place in terms of player contracts with the, the USL or NASL teams, or are you looking for guys just to play maybe in this league and no other? Well, you know, again, without, without, I'm not in any way trying to slam the USL, but that was my big gripe is that it's like almost a no-brainer. You have the USL Pro in, in the MISL. These guys can play all year long. They could play if there if there's a you know uh, Charleston's an example. Uh, Charleston has a, a USL Pro team. Why not do an indoor team in Charleston? Now all year long they have the same coaching staff, the same office staff, um, a lot of the same key players. I mean that's what I think everyone bought into, and it just never happened. But that would be the greatest thing to happen. I think right now we like the Rochester Lancers. We're going to try to affiliate with an NASL team or a USL Pro team and say, hey, you know, there's three or four guys on your team that we want to be part of our team and work together and keep these guys working 12 months a year. I think the heyday of indoor soccer, that's how it was. Guys played for the Buffalo Blizzard. They played for the Rochester Rochester, um, Rhinos. I mean, in in city after city, that was happening. I think we need to create that again, Uh, and I think it will happen. Yeah, because I remember in those days with the MPSL, the NPSL did not have a and the, and the USL Pro or whatever the league going. There was no problem with them with them as far as a player playing indoors in the winter and outdoors in the summer. That usually wasn't an issue. I I don't remember anybody having a problem with that. But I th- I think the scenario you are when with teams in this, a team in the same city is the really best option. With, with Cincinnati, they got the, the Saints. They play both in the PASL as well as the NPSL. So it's an easy it's an easy transition. You don't have to worry about any club being involved. The the thing that I, I wonder about is how is team being cooperative enough. It doesn't always happen that way because I remember 
the great indoor soccer battle of 1995 and 1996 and 1997 when you had a summertime indoor soccer league run pretty much by the NBA and the NHL, and there was a lot of acrimony in terms of trying to share players, and players were kept from going one way to one league or the other. Yeah. Uh, did you feel like you could find enough teams, whether it be the NASL or USL Pro, who would be willing to, to cooperate and uh, either – you know, have a, a separate indoor team or or share with the indoor indoor team. Yeah, I, you know, I think I don't I don't know about the area you're talking about, but I can tell you, labor laws today, unless an outdoor team is going to pay a player for 12 months, they they don't control them. I mean, and that's what right. MLS does. MLS pays them for 12 months, and they control the player for 12 months. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I don't foresee that happening with USL Pro or NASL. I think you know we'll always have access to their players. Um, you know. Some guys have agents and some guys, you know, work hard themselves. But not every player can play indoor. You know, I think a lot of guys, it's a tougher transition to being a good outdoor player to become a good indoor player, and and that's our biggest problem. Um, I I saw some success this year with Baltimore. You know, they went overseas. They went to Costa Rica. They got some Costa Rican uh, futsal players. She was like, futsal, the transition is a little easier for a lot of guys. but that's kind of what we're looking at right now is, you know, we, we, you know, we want to keep our team. We want to, you know, support the colleges, support, you know, uh, American players that are playing here in, in our country. But we are also looking, you know, in Italy, Brazil, Costa Rica for futsal players that maybe can make that transition. Yeah, that was one of the things when indoor soccer first got started. I was always surprised that there weren't too many South Americans who, were, who came in. There were a few here and there. But mostly the, the the predominant players who were big in the league were from Central and Eastern Europe, especially the you know, the old Yugoslav republics with guys like uh, Steve Jogel and Mike Stankovic and players like that. Um, I get the other thing to, to ask you about, and I don't know how much input you're going to have, and I don't know how much uh, Kevin Milliken has told, talked about this, but you mentioned with the media coverage uh, with with this new indoor soccer league, whatever it's going to be called. I know the last few years of the PASL, they had a deal set up where all the teams were doing webca- live webcasts of their games. Um, some, some were good, some, some were, weren't so good uh, in terms of whether it be uh, video hookups, uh, commentators, what have you. Uh, what plans, is there anything you can tell us about what plans you might have as far as uh, you know, where you, what direction you might go as far as whether you want to stick with it or webcasting or try to get into some sort of a t- actual television contract, and uh, most importantly, on a personal level, your uh, commentator talent needs. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. Um, I, uh, I I I haven't talked much with Kevin Milliken at all. I, I talk to Ed Helms on a daily basis. I think the YouTube channel and the YouTube feed. I think the MISL team is really happy with that, and I think Ed Hale would like to push that. But I also think with what I've tried to push for years and years, and you guys are going to laugh because you guys are soccer guys, but I think indoor soccer should be on Nickelodeon or should be on a, a, a kids' network where, you know, the, the bulk of our fan base are these young kids that are from 6 and under to 16 and under playing soccer. Let's get, let's get it on a channel that we know they're watching already and their moms are watching. They're, you know, and that's what I would like to do is see a national broadcast on, you know, Nick and Knight or... Or, or, or a Disney Channel to try to incorporate that whole youth market with indoor soccer. It's kind of like a no-brainer. It kind of goes together. Where most kids, my grandsons, 
They're not watching ESPN yet. They're too young. They're not watching the Fox Soccer Channel. They're not watching um, sporting channels, but they're definitely watching um, children programming, and I think we have to implement indoor soccer onto some kind of children program once a week, maybe once a month, whatever, game of, game of the month, game of the week for now until it grows, but that's what I would like to see, and that's what I have shared with, with Mr. Hale. Well, that's actually, that's not as far-fetched an idea as you might think. Number, number one, you, you still have, you know, your program, despite Nickelodeon, those shows, you know, they are primarily aimed at kids, but some of those shows, especially the cartoon shows, there's stuff in there for adults as well. And obviously they're getting big enough sponsors. You know, obviously Nickelodeon is part of Viacom, which is part of CBS. So they're, getting, they're obviously getting sponsors as far as commercials are concerned. So it's not that high, a crazy idea because I remember seeing that, uh, that lingerie football league for a couple of years was showing their games on MTV2, you know, which on the surface might seem a little ridiculous too. But they, they were there and they had the sponsorship shots. That's not as dumb as idea as, as some people might think. I've, I, I, in a lot of ways, it does make sense. Uh, certainly, Mr. Hale, I've, I've, I've only met him a couple of times, but I've known, I've known of him for a long time back in his days with the original Black. He's a smart man, obviously. He cares about the game a great deal. And I'm, gl- and I'm glad he got back into this, too, by the way. Uh, so you definitely, uh, when, when this comes to pass, uh, when you're ready for your game of the week, uh, you know where to find me for your play-by-play announcer for those. <laughs> well, uh, and feel free to pass my name along to Mr. Hale as well if you want to talk to me at all. Uh, I will. So, yeah. so anyway, uh, Soccer Sam Tantuzo, thank you very much for joining us here on the Yellow Carter Podcast. We really appreciate it. We're glad to hear that you're close to getting your uh, issues with the MISL and USL results so you can finally move forward with your plans. Uh, we certainly wish you and uh, the rest of the uh, indoor soccer people nothing but the uh, best of success. As I said the indoor game was kind of was my big introduction to really getting into soccer. I'd seen some a- ASL games in the mid to late 70s, uh, more on a lark, more or less, because they played just a couple months where I, was, uh, where I grew up. But it was the indoor game where I really started getting into soccer uh, uh, on a serious basis. And uh, and it's my first job ever uh, in the broadcasting business was calling into soccer game, so I've always had a fondness for it and would love to see it, even if it can't maybe return to the days of the, the mid-1980s, certainly get to a point where it can be, they can have some form of a, a national league like either the NASL or the USL pro status, and uh, I would definitely love to be a part of that. And again, wish you a much success going forward with the Lancers, and uh, thank you very much for taking the time to join us here tonight. We appreciate it. Thank you guys for giving Indoor some time. Talk to you soon. Oh, our, our pleasure. We'll be glad to do it again sometime when the next season starts. That was Soccer Sam. He's the he's part he's part of the Rochester Lancers, and I, I was going to butt in, but since you since you got on such a roll, it, it's got, it's got to be fun working in uh it's got to be fun working in Rochester. It's one of the really random hotbeds of soccer in this country. I mean, it, obviously that's where and Gabby it has Wambach been for a long time. You know, that that Lancers name has been around since back in the NASL days. And yeah, and you the, got the, Rhinos, the Rhinos. The Rhinos have had a wonderful run. You know, the 1999 they won the Open Cup. You know, they were trying yeah. at that time to try to get into Major League Soccer. Uh, so yeah, Rochester. Yeah, and they've got a connection with um, with the with the revolution. I mean, it, 
it's a very fun area, and I, I, I'm wondering. I mean, I'm wondering why there isn't that too much of that connection between the rhinos and the lancers right now. Because I, I um, my dad, my dad wants to go to a game this year in like the worst way. He's my dad is finally sick of reading and watching soccer. Now that I can watch soccer my whole life. I mean, as we all know, I was tear gassed at a soccer right when I was. When I was 16, so I mean, I will I will go to any game anytime. So he he's finally getting sick of it, and we're we're planning trips this year. I mean, he we we want to go to we want to go to London next year, and he's like after me to pick a top division team to go and see in London. I'm and I keep telling him, I'm like, Dad, you and I don't have enough money to see a game in London. That's not possible. I mean. I can't. I can't say. I. I can't. Well, I would never go to a Chelsea match, but I, I'm like. I can't. I can't say any of the what four thousand teams there are in London that I want to want to go to. And we we were discussing. Oh well, it's easy for me just to take the train right to uh, where the Rhinos play because it's literally right there. And yeah. you've got the you've got the W Western New York Flash. We can go. We can go see our fa- our favorite women play- women's player, um, Carly Lloyd, play. Yes. In the in the sport, which I, I'm still I'm still I'm still jonesing on that we had her on the show. I mean that's that's still well, kind gotta, of gotta love it. Yeah, we're, we're working on more uh, NWSL players as well. I gotta say, I gotta talk about tonight uh, on ESPN. They're doing a couple of short thirty for thirty soccer stories movies. One is on Diego Maradona and the 1986 World Cup. Uh, in particular, the, the two astounding goals he scored against England, of course, astounding for very vastly different reasons. But it's followed by a film called The Opposition. This goes back to Chile in 1970s. And in, um, in 1970, uh, Salvador Allende was elected president of Chile. Uh, three years later, he was ousted in a military coup d'etat, and Allende committed suicide. Following that, Augusto Pinochet, one of the most horrific dictators this world has ever seen, took over. And among other things that were done, the National Football Stadium was turned into a concentration camp. And the brutality was unimaginable. And it's, it's, I'm sure it's going to go into great detail on that. But at the same time, Chile was trying to qualify for the 1974 World Cup. They got to the final stage. They were in a playoff score last spot against the Soviet Union. Two legs set. First leg in the Soviet Union, the goal was draw. Second leg is going to be played in Santiago, in that national stadium. The Soviet Union, again, the United the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, lodged a protest with FIFA about playing a game there because it was being used as a concentration camp. Am I the only one who sees the irony in this? Okay, this is the phrase, Gulag Archipelago, mean anything to anyone? The Soviet Union protested against the concentration camp by a repressive government. Boy, that, that, that's rich, I'll tell you that one. Uh, it goes on, the, the partial part of it all was the Soviet Union didn't show up. Chile decided, well, we've got to walk over anyway. Let's change the game anyway. You know, they hit all the political prisoners in, in, uh, underneath the stand, went out there, put the team out there, scored the one goal with no opposition, and they, and they were through. It was you know, a farce, to say the least, but... But I just when I read this, it was a review on Awful announcing about it. I talked about FIFA, how the, one of the, they were kind of said, hey, something's never changed with FIFA. 
because the, no. you know, the Soviets want to play this game in a neutral site with Peru or Argentina. But I'm just, I'm just saying, I said, okay, but you know, the Soviet Union, we're not talking pure season of life in the repressive government category, but they had the nerve to complain about somebody else's concentration camp. I just, I just found that the irony of that ridiculous, to say well, the least. Well, well, of course it's... Of course it is. And, you know, what I like about these soccer stories is that they're not taking the – they could have taken the easy way out and done, like, soccer story, Landon Donovan, soccer story, NASL, soccer story, Real Madrid, Barcelona. But they're going in and doing interesting things. I mean, the hand of yes, God won the – they're doing this, they're doing this one with Chile, which I, I I know you're a well-read person, but you know Allende is still a name around. His wife is that is uh, Isabel Allende, that that author that you hear about that writes about Chile. That's his wife. Yeah, that's, really. That's oh, yeah. That that's one. It's like my because my dad just went to Chile, and he saw, he saw all of this, and he has like. I mean, my dad's. As I mean, I mention him a lot on this. He's Keith. You've forgotten more in the last month about soccer than my dad knows, and that's not saying you're losing your mind. It's just you. You know more than that's he okay. Does, but, know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I swear I'm losing my mind some days. But um, he, he was mentioning that, and you know what I love about these thirty and thirties is they're picking really different things. I mean, they're doing the Northern Ireland uh, massacre one, which that one it, that one's so, something I didn't think they would even touch. I mean, they touched Hillsborough, which in and of itself, I mean, being, being a Liverpool fan like I am, and I mean, I was railing against this online the other day. No, not a lot of that was news to me. I mean, I, after, I mean, a couple of years ago, Simon Allen, Richard Bugston, and Eric Nash and I did a whole um, terrestrial version of it, and it I only time you will ever hear Simon Allen not talk more than about four words in an hour and a half yeah. show. Um, and I'm glad, and I'm glad I, you brought that up. I did, I did get to watch that afterwards, and two things struck me about that. The one thing that struck me about this, I mentioned, I mentioned last week about the media's role and the lack of willingness by the Sun, especially to try to find out what happened. The one thing I wasn't aware of that I saw there was the early, early report, the early inquisition led by Lord Justice um, uh, Taylor, I believe it was, and how his report pretty much found the police at fault. Obviously, at that time, the, the editing, redacting, and scrubbing, and sanitizing, as it was called, of the police officers' statements was not known by anyone outside South Berkshire Police. But Justice Taylor clearly found the police in fault, and then you had later on, not very long after, the Sun coming out with what they call, quote, the truth, unquote. That to me, as a media person, if I'm not working for the Sun, and I see these two different things come out, I say, okay, wait a minute. Something's wrong. They both can't be right. And I'm jumping in. But nobody did in the media, for the most part. You know, the, the sun, and again, I, I still understand what the sun, why the sun did what they did or didn't do what they didn't do, and what they stood, to, what thought they stood to gain by, because that's again, normally you do this for you to gain something, whether it be your own, keep your own job or whatever. 
They didn't do it for whatever reason. But nobody else seemed to be, nobody else in the media really seemed to be interested, even after you had two clear reports showing two vastly different uh, outcomes of what happened. And well, but do you get you a whole number one thing. answer the question? Yeah, that's the only problem I have, and I realize part of the problem is there are still there's another uh, another inquest going on, and I believe this so this so there are civil cases pending as well because I remember Carney Krishnaya, one of our uh, previous guests, where he put something on his Facebook page. He had to put a disclaimer out here in the UK. You can't access this because of those legal yeah. issues going on. So I'm still, I would still, I would, the gentleman who finally wrote the final report that they featured some problem, I wish I could remember his name, and I'm sorry, I, I don't, but I would love to see, hear, uh, hear him, and, and as well as Daniel Gordon, try to go into what, where were the media during all this? Why weren't they trying to find the opportunity where they clearly had two completely different stories about what happened? Well, I, I do want to. I do want to welcome on a new friend of the show, and, and I, I'm biased here because I, I'm biased here because Matt's also Matt's also a Liverpool fan. So I, I want I, I wanted I wanted to get I wanted to get that out here. But I, I I also wanted to talk I also wanted to talk about another team. Um, Matt Matt Cox lives in Tampa, and is you're you're not like. The, you're not part of the um, you're not part of Ralphie's mob, are you, Matt? Well, I'm uh, I'm technically a member because I just like the idea of supporting the whole supporter culture movement. Um, but most of the time, if I go to the game, it, I'm I'm with my wife or with my daughter or with some other people, and I usually don't sit with them. But yeah, I technically, I'm a member. Oh, okay, yeah, because Ralphie's mob is one of those where you can basically just show up or like sign up online because I know I'm a me- I'm. It's like one of the only like three I'm a member of. It's like that and the Cosmos and the Brickyard Battalion. But Keith and I know Derek Ritchie quite well, so that's 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 another thing. Um, I know because you're a Liverpool fan. I want I didn't want to hit you with this online, but we were just talking about the Hillsborough docu- documentary on Thirty on Thirty. I, I know that that showed nothing new for me. When you watch, sat down and watched that, finally, did that did that give you any any more enlightenment or anything else? Uh, I wouldn't say that there was necessarily any new information that I hadn't been aware of, but seeing some of the the pictures and the the videos and, and kind of stuff like that from the time uh, kind of helped drive a lot more of it home. I would say. Yeah, and you know what's weird and. So you talk about you know you guys being Liverpool supporters. The other thing, the other thing, there were two things I wanted to mention. The other thing I, I wanted to talk about was the beginning when the police were, for whatever reason, the investigators were focused a lot on you know the drinking aspect and whether there was one. And you know, I'm just speculating here, just basically my own opinion, but I have to wonder. Four years previously, we had the riot at Hazel Stadium in Brussels when Liverpool and Juventus were going to play in the European Cup final. Now, admittedly, part of the problem was the fact that Italian Italians and Juventus supporters were somehow able to get access to tickets that were near the Liverpool supporters 
which because the essential the, the the official ticket blocks for the two groups of sports were at opposite of the stadium, but somehow some event, Italians and Juventus supporters ended up getting seated near the Liverpool supporters as well. I'm not sure exactly how that came to pass, and, and there was drunkenness and violence. And else. I have to wonder, did that weigh into anybody's mind in terms of how they decided to approach this? In terms of, did they did you know, Liverpool had that reputation? But that really kind of cemented Liverpool's reputation in, 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 the, in the hooliganism of that era. I just have to wonder: Did somebody in South Yorkshire Police's command see them as an easy target, thinking, "Hey, if we blame it on drunken hooligans, they'll buy into it, just like they bought into it four years ago"? I, I just have to wonder how much of an how much did what happened four years earlier enter into the thinking and the mindset of the people who uh, decided to conduct the investigation in the manner they did? Well, I would I would assume that probably had some part to do with it, and and. It's not necessarily that just Liverpool fans had that reputation. You, that was kind of at the height of uh, hooliganism, and especially with away fans. And you're looking at a, a game like that in a neutral ground where you've got two sets of away fans. And uh, I probably, I mean, you might. I don't know who where it would have started to begin with, but someone's going to look and say, "Well, you know, we kind of messed up with the opening of the gate, and then saying that we didn't do that, and then we kind of messed up with." You know, not emptying out the center pens into the two pens on the side, and well, we're going to get some questions about that, but maybe we can deflect it onto this. Um, and that was really at a period of time where football wasn't really thought of very highly um, by anyone outside of the fans. There wasn't a big government support for football, um, so I think that maybe the not necessarily just because it was Liverpool, but here was a chance to maybe drive another nail into football in general. Yeah, and that, that's, the bad, that's the bad thing with the sport. Now, I do want to flip this because you're actually on, not about Liverpool, because I, I could, I could, we could talk about that all day, and some days I, I've done that online. Um, you're a Tampa Bay Rowdies fan, and you are our expert on the Tampa Bay Rowdies. So well, if I ever get you and Dan on at the same time, well, you and Dan and, and his girlfriend on at the same time, I think, I think that would be fun, but... <laughs> That would be interesting. We're we're working on converting her. Do, the, the, do you guys have to go follow the, these three online? I mean, it's half the it's half the reason why I've got Twitter nowadays is to see you three just going back and forth at it. Um, what can I mean? What can, can you give us? Because a lot of we like to talk about the other other teams. What could you just give us a summary on the rowdies? Where you guys came from last year till now? I mean, kind of like if you were writing the recap. Um, well, see, at the end of last year, we, uh, you know, NASL went to that split schedule last year, and it was the winner of each season ended up in the uh, the championship game, which is where you got the the Cosmos and the Silverbacks. Um, Rowdies came in. Uh, I'm going to say it was third in the the first season and fourth in the second season. Uh, overall, if they had stayed with the regular uh, combined schedule, it actually would have been second in the the league overall on points. Um, but the offseason, there was a lot of change. Uh, the team was bought by a local businessman uh, named Bill Edwards. Actually, owns a big. Uh, it's called next door. It's called Mahaffey Theater. They do, you know, have like plays and comedians and things like that there. Um, put a lot of money into the team. Um, they signed uh, Brian Shriver from Carolina, was the leading scorer in the league last year. They re-signed uh, Georgie Ristoff, who was the league MVP 
So that's our two up front. Um, brought in a couple players, uh, a lot in the midfield. Um, Daryl Russell, who came in from MLS and also played for Norwich City. Uh, Willie Hunt was on the back line for Atlanta last year. Um, Blake Wagner, uh, another midfielder. And put a lot more kind of time and money and effort into advertising the team, publicizing word of mouth. They're trying to get some commercials on TV and radio and doing some deals. So um, it's been a big off-season, was a big off-season overall. Uh, right near the end of it, our keeper from last year, Diego Restrepo, um, was injured in practice and is out until the beginning of the spring season. So they brought in... Um, made a deal with New England Revolution from MLS to bring in uh, Matt Pickens to be the starting keeper, and has, he's been, been doing a really good job so far. Um, and I don't know if you if you saw it today, I know you uh, you follow them on Twitter too, they just announced they re-signed the uh, coach, Ricky Hill, um, to a yeah. three-year extension. So it's uh, it, it's been a big season, and the idea now is, uh, at least this is my point of view from the signings going on in the offseason, was... Uh, because now NASL for this season, they've got the short first season, then they're taking a break for the World Cup, uh, and then the longer second season. So the idea, I think, now is to try and make a run at winning the first season uh, to secure your spot in the playoffs. They've, they've scrapped that, uh, you know, two winners for the championship, and now it's going to be the two winners plus the two leading overall point scorers, point getters, uh, for the combined season into a, a, a little playoff format. So um, the idea, hopefully, is to win one of the seasons, but our expectation is to f at least finish in that final four somewhere. And, and you guys are, I mean, you guys are fortunate with the NESL. That now, do you guys get, you guys get local coverage down? Do you guys get local coverage down there? It's coming on more this year. Um, as far as in the, the local mainstream papers, the newspapers, it, it, it's been coming on slowly. Um, there's some local kind of alternative newspapers uh, that have been covering it pretty good. But this year they also signed a uh, first time ever. Um, games are being broadcast. The, the home, home matches on Saturdays are broadcast on a, uh, a local TV station with a pregame show beforehand. So they're getting some coverage there. And then with that uh, ESPN3 game of the week, I guess you've got some potential to be on there. Um, so the coverage is definitely picking up, too. Now, I, well, I, for, I, forget, I forget this about, forget this about um, Ricky Hill, but isn't he, like, kind of a legend down there? I mean, he's, he's been with you guys since basically Dagleish left. Uh, yeah, he came in. Um, Paul Dagleish was, was let go at near the end of the first season they came back. Terry Vanderbeck filled in for the last few games. Um, and then Ricky was hired in the offseason between the first and second season to come in. Um, Ricky had played and was a player coach with the original incarnation of the Rowdies uh, right around near the end of the time at the NASL. And he played with them indoor and outdoor. Um, and it, people who have been a fan of the team for a long time will recognize him. Uh, and I certainly think he's done a really good job uh, since he's been here, since he's come back. I mean, we won the cup in the second year he was here, and, and uh, he's just been re-signed again. So, uh, obviously, the, the management thinks highly of him as well. Now, I mean, I mean, how much, I mean, how much fun is it to go to those games? I mean, I, I've, seen, I've seen the pictures because 
Ralphie's mob, the, the rowdies post them a lot. It it looks like with what you got with what you guys are doing, that you guys are actually trying to provide a better atmosphere than what what some of these lower leagues have. It, it looks like you guys are trying to get it to be to be like what I would say, like what the Indian Eleven have right now. Yeah, I would say that. Um, with the stadium, they play in Al Lang Stadium, which is an old uh, minor league baseball stadium. It's right down. It's in downtown St. Petersburg. It's right on the water. Um, the stadium itself isn't the the best place to play, or maybe the best suited for soccer. But you've got a great view of the bay. Um, you're sitting in there. You get nice breezes. It's, it's a beautiful place to sit and watch a game. Um, but yeah, you can uh, if you're if you're with the mob and you go down, they've, they've got a bar they all meet at about maybe half a mile away from the stadium. There's a march from the stadium, uh, in, or a march from the bar into the stadium, uh, singing, chanting, beating on drums, all kinds of good stuff. Uh, but there's also a pretty good, we've got the parking lot right out there, so unlike you know where you'd find in, in a European stadium where you don't have that right on-site parking, uh, there's a lot of tailgaters out there. And there'll be, you know, Random people, you know, two or three in a group. You might have a couple groups to get together. Uh, away fans will meet in the parking lot, and it's usually a pretty good time out there. I have a lot of fun doing it. I mean, that's and I actually I live in Sarasota, which is about an hour south. Um, so I and I've been driving to Tampa and then now to St. Pete for the last couple of years to go to the game. So to me, it's definitely worth the the gas money if nothing else. Yeah, that that can't be that can't be too much fun. I mean. What, you are. You, I see you guys are having. Well, I mean, what do you expect? When, I know you're you're not going this week, obviously, because you have you have something else to do. I mean, did, are you buying the F, uh, NASL live feed or the uh, um, actual app? I haven't done it yet. Uh, you're talking about Dan before. Dan uh, has bought into it and is watching it. Um, Usually, with most of the home games, I'm I'm going to be there. Except this week, I like you said, I got something else going on, but I do have my uh, my green and gold bow tie to wear to this event. It should be arriving this week, so I'll I'll be there in spirit at least. Um, but looking at it, I mean, it, you know, it, it's I think it's like five bucks a month for for what you get. It looks like a pretty good deal. It's something that I probably would do um, in the long run. Just haven't done it yet. I mean, what I mean. For, for people that I mean, because we, we're broadcasting live all over the world right now. I mean, there are pe- there are people trying to get into the sport right now. I mean, we, we have new people making it making it to it. We've got those random Chelsea fans that are trying to find the team. I mean, what 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 could you if you had to pitch being a Rowdies fan to someone to sway them? I mean, what would be your elevator pitch? Uh Let's see. I I like the whole idea of supporting the local team, and, and you know, there's a there's a lot of clubs that have come in into NASL, and you and you see them like, you know, in their first season, second season, and they're talking about how they're you know they're planning to get into MLS. Um, that really hasn't been mentioned around here. Uh, I, I'm not going there just because it's the MLS team in town, or they might end up in MLS one day. Uh, the atmosphere is great. Uh, the play is a lot of fun. Um, you know, like we're talking about being Liverpool fans, it's very similar. It's a, it's an attacking, uh, fun to watch kind of style of play. Um, unfortunately, we we do seem to have the same problem so far of leaking goals late in the match, which is why we've uh, drawn the first two games and are sitting on two points right now. Um, 
but it's fun. Uh, the the players are 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 overall great guys as far as you know. Year after the match is over, they're down there at the uh, at the wall signing autographs with the kids, um, clapping off all the fans. It, it's it, it's a great time. It, it's if you need something to do, if you're looking for some fun, that's a great place to go. There's there's people of all ages out there. People with their kids. There's people who have been uh, um, watching the rowdy since they were playing in. The old uh, old sombrero in Tampa back in the '60s and '70s. Um, it, it's it's a great place to go. It's just a lot of fun. Now, obviously, because you are the Liverpool fan that you are, and playing Chelsea this weekend. I mean, what you, what are you thinking for this weekend? Now, now that you see, now that you've you've probably seen it online that Peter Cech and John Terry are done for the year. Yeah, I saw that. I saw Terry might not be back until uh, the Champions League final if they get there. I, I did see a uh, uh, another tweet where someone said that in the press conference, Mourinho said that John Terry's definitely out for the weekend, and then winked and left the room. So who knows? Uh, I heard it. I heard it reported that he said he he would change the entire team for this weekend uh, unless Abramovich tells him not to. Um, uh, we'll see what happens. I mean. Uh, it, it makes you know if I'm trying to like put my bias uh, aside. If I'm looking at it from from Jose's point of view, uh, it seems like the Champions League is the best chance at getting a trophy this season in the first place. So I would understand if he's going to rest players and, and do something like that. And uh, you know, it obviously, would seem to to work out in uh, in our favor to begin with. Uh, still got to go out there and do it. And, and You've seen the last couple of weeks of this season with the other teams that are in contention. You know, anything can happen. I, I, honestly, I'm glad we don't play Sunderland any time in the last three games. Oh, yes. But we've got uh, – well, we fortunately have Crystal Palace coming up and and Newcastle. And the guy that's coming up next, Ryan Seelock, is a very frustrated Newcastle fan. I think it's about the, I think it's about the only time during the week that he – Openly is um, frustrated, swears during the week. Um, so don't, don't sleep on Crystal or... Palace. Go ahead. Don't sleep on Crystal Palace. Ask Jose about that. Oh, absolutely not. The only thing I'm I'm uh, resting my hat on right now is that looking at the table, both uh, Crystal Palace and Newcastle are officially safe. They they're they're good. They're they're staying up. So um, yeah, that, maybe they'll ease lot. off a little bit. Yeah, I, I I wish that Palace wasn't safe before City had to go there, um, but I'll take what I can get. Uh, yeah, because my best case scenario. There, I say for oh, a long time there, even up until the last couple of weeks, literally the entire bottom half of the table was in the relegation battle. Yeah, I'm looking at it now, and, and and you know I think I think it was after last week or maybe the week before is when they finally did it, but. One through eleven right now, if my memory works, is is safe. But all the rest of them, it's going to come down to the last day. You know, and NBC's going all out with that, airing all the games at the same time on the uh, last day of the season. I, I've got a feeling that it's going to be more about who's getting relegated than who's going to finish. Uh, I'm hoping, you know, in a ideal situation, that if Liverpool does go on and, and win the league, they can wrap it up at uh, Palace and, and not have to wait until the Newcastle game. Um, and at that point, then it, it's just going to be about seeing who gets relegated. Which um, I, you guys, I, know, I was listening to you guys before I came on. You were talking about uh, if you were in London, you know, trying to pick out a game to go to. And I was thinking the other day, if I had a a, a soccer bucket list, 
I would want to go to somewhere to go to a game in England somewhere. Um, I would I'd want to see a team win the Premier League. I'd like to be at a game like that, see that happen. But I'd, like, I'd love to go to some championship games, and I'd like to see a team get promoted to the Premier League. But I'd love to see a team get relegated. Uh, the the emotions and the the atmosphere going on with the fans, and the, especially if it's in a, at a home game. Um, I'm thinking about Blackburn a couple years ago when uh, they were rather discontent about the goings on. Uh, just the, be there and witness that just seems like it'd be something pretty cool to see. Oh, yeah, my yeah, mom. Yeah, that's, that's why. Couple, I said my mom. That's, that's why I always try to like it. Premier League games the last couple of years. That's why. That's why I always try to have a couple teams. Like uh, we have a good friend on the show, Russ Goldman, who is a Fulham fan that does a uh, um, Fulham podcast, and he he's he's on that side. And I was think, I was just thinking out, out of the blue. Now you said some of the championship teams. Watford Watford is in London. That would be a fu- that would be a fun one to see because they're literally they're literally right over the right over the. Um, Side of Arsenal, really. I mean, they're right next to Emirates. So, I, because my my dad and I are planning on going overseas next year, next year or 2016, whichever whatever floats with my um, with my work schedule when I have a work schedule coming up. Um, before we go, where can we where can we follow you, um, Matt, so we can get you insane amount of um, followers on Twitter? <laughs> uh, you can follow me on, on Twitter uh, at Matt Cox, M-A-T-T-C-O-X. Um, I, I, I tweet about a, a lot of different kind of random things. Uh, anything, you, it, it, obviously, it's going to be a, a lot of Liverpool and rowdy stuff. Um, uh, I, I tweet about craft beer a lot because that's something that's kind of taking off in this area, and, and I enjoy having several of them. Um, movies, TV, all kinds of random stuff. So if, if someone decides to follow me and wonders what the heck they're getting into, because I haven't talked about uh, soccer for a little while, it, it, it'll come around. I make sure to cover all the bases. And you have your random, you have your random tweets with all your friends, too. So he's Matt Cox. He's now our lower league expert in the, in the U.S., in the U.S. I want to thank him for coming on, and hopefully the next, the last week I will – the last week where we, uh, where Liverpool is safe and is going to win the title, I think I think I will go wall to wall, all Liverpool and and load, load up on the board the um, never walk alone and other stuff. So I might have to have you and Dan and whoever else we can find. So whoever else we can find to have have a party at the end of the at the end of the year. We could do that. We um, Dan and I sometimes go up to. There's a uh, official Liverpool supporter group up in Tampa, so we'll go up there and watch uh, most of the games. And it could be kind of fun to put the uh, the whole bar on it, and it could be interesting. <laughs> that 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 well, would be got, fun. I mean, if you're, going, if, if you're going to play, you'll never walk alone. At least let me supply you with the best version of it. Okay, I'll I'll work on getting that here sometime in the next couple of weeks. Cause I know I know you guys are dying to celebrate this one. Yeah, because I'm just thinking about the next game right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hopefully I am and, too. And, well, I want to say I want to thank you guys. for being on. I want to thank you for being on, man. And I'm sure I will talk to you within the next half hour. Because I usually talk all to right, you. All and right, Dan good talking to you guys. You too. Talk to you later. That was, that was Matt Cox. Well, basically from Twitter um, about the Rowdies, Liverpool. 
craft beer. Go follow him on Twitter. He's a lot of fun. And we were mentioning some other people in um, in Liverpool fandom. I don't know. I don't know if you have this in in Manchester United fandom. There's always a pocket of people that are just real fun to talk to. Matt, Tan, and Tan's girl. I can't pronounce Tan's girlfriend's name. Are just a bunch of fun during the day. So I, I want everybody to go and follow them. Um, we're coming up to we're coming up to Ryan Seelock, and I know Seelock wants to be on also to hear Keith rant about Manchester United because I was I was uh, trading texts with Matt, not Matt, um, Ryan back and forth today about about this, and he he wanted he wanted me to book him around it or have Keith on with it. So hope hopefully when when Ryan calls on, and obviously we're going to talk. Ah, asking you. Speaking, speaking of the man, yes. Speak of the devil. Yeah, Hello, of the man. What's up, guys? Well, you, you, you know, again? well, we wanted to have you on, obviously, because you are you are our Chicago Fire guy. Because Ru- Ruben, every time I ask him to come on, he keeps forgetting or saying he hasn't set his alarm, or does. <laughs> Can't do the can't do the conversion. Can't do the conversion because it's so hard to figure out that I'm an hour ahead of you guys. Yeah, I was listening. Yet one. He, How difficult is that? Yet, uh, I'll give him a hard can, time. <laughs> yet Ryan's probably on while driving home in Iowa. Yes. No, I'm actually. I just got home, so I'm not driving today while on. This time, I mean, I have a really, ba- I have a really, really bad past with with people on the on air being in their car. I mean, I, I haven't gotten you lost yet, and I, I'm kind of one of these days. Keith is going to get lost with me being on. Um, obviously, before we get to the um, Chicago Fire stuff, I do have to hit the um, Manchester United stuff with you, Keith. I know you're obviously upset by this because and, and I have the emails, I mean a hundred deep email today, but um <clears throat> about about this and Ryan Giggs or as they're saying the I, I've seen all the banners today. I mean Photoshop has been going crazy with Ryan Giggs on, on Facebook. Oh, yeah. On Facebook and Twitter. I mean what 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 is your bit about this, Keith? Well well first of all I'm not gonna sit here and say David Moyes did everything right. He didn't. There's no question about that, but I still think that a lot of big-name players do not play like big-name players. Uh, certainly the way Rudy's situation wasn't handled 100% perfectly by David Moyes either, but what it comes down to is, is this, that it, it, the Manchester United supporters trust put a big post online, and they basically, in about half a dozen different ways, blame the Glazers. And I think the Glazers have a lot to do with this. And it's another example of us here in America exporting our bad ideas, which in this case is there's always quick fix in sports. And you got to remember, Blazers also in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the NFL, where one-year turnarounds are nothing new. Happens all the time. They happen a lot to see having a free agency at the NFL. But you contrast that with someone who, say, owns a baseball club. Like, uh, oh, I don't know, uh, somewhere up in Russell's territory perhaps, Look at what John Henry and Fenway Sports Group did buying Liverpool. They brought in they they brought in Brendan Rodgers, and they gave him time to change things. Just like 
when they realized when they made a mistake at hiring Bobby Valentine, they brought in John Farrell. They've given him some time. And look what happened. He won a World Series. Same example as Liverpool. They gave Brendan Rodgers time to fix things, get things going in the right direction, and it looks like, to me at least, unless something strange happens, Liverpool are going to win the league. The lesson is clear, people, and I realize a lot of people on Twitter today had a comparing will say, well, look at Sir Alex. He came in, you know, he came in, didn't succeed for seven years. Yeah, I know, but you can't, it's an apples to oranges comparison. You had a team that hadn't been terribly successful, uh, you know, had not won the league for quite some, quite some time. Liverpool had been dominant throughout the 70s and into the mid-1980s at that point, and even later into that decade as well. It was a different set of circumstances. You know, Moyes was asked to maintain a successful run and simply didn't have the means to do it in terms of the players especially. He was also hamstrung in the fact that, that he didn't get a full summer in the transfer window. And the other thing that not many people have talked about was the departure of David Gill. And I read this, I can't remember who put this up on Twitter, but somebody had a great line referred to him as the de facto general manager. And that's really what he was. He and Sir Alex worked together. It was not all Sir Alex doing this. David Gill was just as much a part of it, and I think David Gill's departure meant as much, did as much damage to the club in terms of this current squad as, Sir, as, as much as Sir Alex leaving at the right time, which I still feel he did. And Franz Beckenbauer agrees with me. It's, this is going to be... And as far as who to replace him, you're the two big, for the gigs, he's not going to become the full-time manager. Let's put, let's get that out in the open right here, right now. In fact, if anything, what I see happening is, and we talked about this a while back, Giggs, to the best of my knowledge, still has not been offered a contract for next year. And I don't, right now, I don't think he will be. I think this is going to be a case of, we're going to put you in place here on the coaching staff. You play these over. We want to groom you for this job eventually. But he's not ready for it now, and he's not going to get it now. It's that simple. The two names that have come up with the mo- that have come up the most. First of all, Jurgen Klopp over at Dortmund. And he has said repeatedly and said again today. He told um, he told uh, the Guardian <clears throat> that my commitment to Borussia Dortmund and the people is not breakable. Now, you know, words like that have been broken before. I'm not going to deny that, but I just. I just don't see Klopp leaving. I really don't. I think he, he's, the fa- he's the betting favorite right now. If you look at the uh, if you look at the odds list, uh, he's, third, he's third choice actually. The the one name that keeps coming up, and on the one hand might be a good option, especially in terms of grooming Geeksy for the job, is Louis Van Gaal, the, the current Holland manager. Now, you know, he's had a lot of success at building a foundation at places like Barcelona and Bayern Munich. He's also got a reputation for wearing out his welcome and being moved out the door, and then even more success coming down, more success has come both those clubs by virtue of what he did. And this is where he might be the right choice in terms of getting Geeksy ready. Bring him over, bring him in. Yeah, players don't always like playing for this guy because he has such an assistant on playing his way of football, and not everybody can adapt to that. But we see what happens when they do with Barcelona and Bayern Munich. If you give, if, if he can last three years, that might be enough time for Geeksy V. Ray to step in if indeed Van Gaal wears out his welcome as he's done in the past. The problem is you face a very similar situation to what happened with Moyes last summer. Remember, he's managing in the World Cup. You have to believe, barring something very, very strange, 
Holland should at least get to the quarterfinals, maybe the semifinals. That's going to take him into July, all right? He then has about a month before the start of the season, and a very, like Moyes had a, very, a much more limited transfer window than if he were working on it from, from, from the middle of May. So Van Yal makes the most sense, especially if they're looking at Giggsy eventually becoming the manager. But do, are you running the risk of another season like this by not giving him a full summer to bring in the player because there's going to be there needs to be some overhauling. You know, some players are leaving already. Uh, you know, you, and there's others that definitely need to be moved along and definitely need to be have replacements brought in. Uh, so Van, Van Yal, on for the most part, looks like the right choice, but is it going? Is he going to have enough time to fix it? I found this very interesting, though. The second choice after Van Yal for the next manager, Carlo Ancelotti. I found that very intriguing that he would be second choice at nine to one. But there were some there were some interesting names that came up at the bo- at the bottom of the list last two two hundred fifty to one. Eric Cantona and David Beckham. <laughs> well, here's the here's the thing with Eric and Klopp. I think he's actually honestly going to move one of these years because you, what you have in the Bundesliga is. Bayern Munich is just running away with it and not making it fun. At some point, he's going to want to win titles again, and Jurgen Klopp is a young man. It's not like you're talking about some 50- or 60-year-old manager here that's set in his ways. Jurgen's is he, is he my age? No. I, I, th- I, think he's, I think he's about the same age as um, Brendan Rodgers. I think he's like 41. Because Brandon's no. young, Brandon's young. I think Josie. Oh, yeah. I, no, think, Klopp, I think uh, Josie Klopp is. Yeah, I think Josie's just your age. Klopp turns forty-seven in June. Jose is about is less than a year older than me. Uh, he was born in January nineteen sixty-three. I know that for a fact. But yeah, Klopp turns forty-seven in June. I wouldn't have figured that. Looking at the one picture I saw, he's got uh, he's got a fair amount of. Uh, He's got a fair amount of gray in the beard, at least, that he's growing. But, yeah, he's... Well, and also, yeah, you've also got to remember that um, Pep Guardiola is still quite young, too. I, I think Pep's not even 45, too. I mean, the, the only yeah, old guy that we're... This, Guardiola is not going... Unless something something very, very bad would have to happen at Bayern for Guardiola to want to go anyplace. Why would you leave? You've got a, a great foundation... You can bring in anybody you want at any time. You don't owe anybody a dime. Uh, it, it, why would why would you leave that? <laughs> you know, why, no oh no, he's not he's not point. leaving for a while. Pep's not leaving and for a while. Fun. He he will he'll eventually get tired and and move on. And maybe maybe he will eventually, in like 2020 2024, take over the um take over the U.S. national team or. Or take over Newcastle for Ryan. There's a, there's a name I'm going to throw out there, and it's a really long shot. 66 to one to be exact on this uh, from Skybet. Uh, their odds on this, but you talk, and you you brought it up. You know, being you know, you're in Klopp being tired of trying to chase Bayern Munich because they're so wildly successful. How about the other? How about the guy who's running the club that's been wildly successful and really has no challengers to move? To why not move on? He's been talking about moving on to the Premier League for some time. 
too big of a job. I mean, it probably it's not going to happen, but still, I'd be intrigued. By way, the idea way too big of a job. And he, here's the I other thing. So. Here's the other. Here's the other thing with it. They just they just failed with a former Celtic player. Uh, they gonna, are they going to put another one in there? I would. I think eventually. I don't I, think, I think that would make much difference. I, I think eventually. What you also got to remember is Neil Lennon is quite young, too. Yes, Neil, Neil is, Lennon is yes. another one of those. He's quite young. I think I think the best place to put Neil Lennon, if he does does leave um, Celtic, is you you put him somewhere like Derby, or you put him somewhere like Watford and have him come up. Don't throw him at Man U right now. That that well on, on the la- on the latter option on the latter option you'll have to talk to Sir Elton about that one. I'm sure he'd have some say in the matter. <laughs> I don't th- I don't think Elton has any any ju- anything with anything, anything still, to do with Watford. He's no, he's still a minority shareholder. Well, yeah, he's a shareholder, but I I, yeah. I think he's just there. I mean, it's kind of it's kind of like well. what Mike Ashley has to do. Just go screw off. But anyway, we wanted to have you on, Ryan, Ryan, for a reason. We didn't want to have you all ranting and raving about Newcastle because we could follow you on Twitter on that because that, that <laughs> that's that's Saturdays basically. Um, Keith brought this up in one one of our um, emails: is Chicago's weird start that they still haven't had a win yet. They've just been tying every game. I mean. Can you make a sense of this? Um, it, it's definitely odd. We've seen it before. I mean, you know, was it a two or three years ago? We had, God, it, it was you know well over ten draws, of thirteen, fifteen, something like that. Um, we've tied the record for most, you know, most draws consecutively. It's it's one of those things. that's kind of odd. You know, we've had some personnel going out, personnel going in. Um, kind of a youth movement, finally. Um, you know, a lot of young players that really weren't seeing time under Frank Lowe now are getting to gel. I mean, the talent's clearly there. We've not really been out of a game other than the Travis Cita Chivas to start the year. Um, you know, and it could be said a lot of the games we probably should have won, and Yallop said it himself after the last thing. You know, we just don't have that killer blow yet, that finishing instinct. Um and, um, I mean, you've seen it even, you know, McGee has struggled a little bit. I mean, in a last match, we easily could have put in three or four goals at the end there and you know, just some, some really bad luck. Um, so that we're was, not yeah, over the hump yet. Yeah, that was a bizarre second half against New England, i got to tell you. Yeah, well, and, and yeah, two weeks in a row, you know, missing a penalty kick. I mean, he had he had his, uh, you know, McGee missed on two weeks ago. Um and didn't convert. And then this last week, you know, I, first of all, Juan Luis Anangano never should have been taking that kick. Um, you know, and afterwards, Jeff Lorenowitz even said, you know, hey, I'm the captain. You know, he pretty much stood over the ball and didn't want to move. I should have called him off of it, and he didn't. Um, and, you know, took a horrible kick, got saved, and, you know, it's kind of summed up the season so far. I mean, the problem is we're already, you know, it's, Okay, we're only you know six games in, seven games in, but you got to start turning these into three points. And um, just like before, you know, the last few years it seems like it's been the same story. We dig an early hole, and we're trying to play catch up, and you know, that's not always going to work. Um, we're pretty hopeful that we'll bring in a big piece yet this uh, you know this summer, but um, you know that that also 
in terms of Yallop and Brian Bliss now in charge, they definitely have a lot more knowledge. I trust them a lot more than the Klopas era. The problem is it still comes from the top, and Andrew Hoffman is starting to get into uh, um, a very unfavorable uh, level with most of the fans, uh, just, you know, wanting to promise things, now changing the kits up, you know, the, the traditional red and white uh, kits with the white stripe, um, you know, originally in uh, in remembrance or in tribute to Chicago Fire Department. Um, now, you know, the stripe went blue. That caused an outcry. And now, of course, the new home kit, which to me I've made the feelings known, as Stephen said on Twitter, you know, really ugly. And, and the thing is we just feel like, you know, it may not be like, uh, um, you know, like whole wanting to change your name. Um, or Vincent Tan coming in and, you know, completely changing colors, but the fans are feeling like it's slowly Andrew Hoffman is shaping the club in his way, which he's the owner. He does have that right. But, you know, fans are kind of thinking, wow, you know, what's sacred, what's holy. There's, you know, there's no respect for tradition anymore. And, and so they came out with his jersey and said, well, yeah, there is blue. Well, on a Chicago fire truck, the blue is on the roof. I mean, unless you're in a high-rise or a tall building and see it pull up, you're not going to see that. So it just feels very disingenuous. And in the end, he's the one calling the shots and outlaying the money. And despite many times saying we could go after a Robbie Keane type of player, we have yet to see it. Um, our track record has been awful with DPs, and it looks like Anangano is, is another in the line of that. So until that gets better, um, even if we sign someone, there's no guarantee it's gonna not going to be a big waste of money. So... Uh, we definitely need to do something in the summer. The one uh, kind of good thing, bad thing, uh, Grant Ward, a uh, young Tottenham player, we were pretty close to securing a loan for him. He was very, very good in the preseason, um, showed very well, um, and the rumor was it would be done in a few days. Well, he broke his foot. Very bad luck, but um, I just saw a tweet that he's up and running again, um, getting some dribbling in. So it looks like he could be joining the club in a month or two, so that should help out. The question is, will we be too far behind already, which is the same one we've been answering the last three years. It's fun to get some, you know, some another young kid like that. I mean, you guys have been fortunate this year that you guys have a bunch of young kids coming through. I mean, what, what are we chalking that up to? I mean, you've got Schiff coming in, you've got Yoya coming in. I mean, what? I mean, what? What? What is the sudden bringing up and bringing in of the young players? I mean, where, where is this coming from? Is this just change at the top with Brian Bliss? Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, the, we've kind of always boasted, you know, Chicago has a really, really great soccer foundation, community, and culture, and um, you know, so many players. You can think of almost you know, any big-name player, at least MLS-wise, um, you know, that's maybe has been in the Fire Academy or, you know, ha- has played with the Fire at some level. And that's the thing we keep hearing about, you know, we have all these kids, we have a great academy, but we weren't reaping the benefits of it. I mean, our first homegrown player, Victor Pineda, didn't really ever see the pitch until even this year, and he's still not getting a ton of time. But, you know, I mean, he's been with us since he's 16, so five years now, and we just weren't seeing any youth movement. Um, we brought in uh, – I we have a supposed link with Atletico, uh, Atletico Madrid and brought in one of their uh, supposed youth talent guys, Rafael Carmona. Well, he was kind of behind the scenes, never heard anything about him. I think that was more just kind of a spin by the front office rather than actual substance of, of what impact he had. But, yeah, it seems like Yallop's willing to give the kids a shot. Uh, 
being able to secure Harry Ship, who is early front runner, you know, already has a few assists, um, uh, possibly for MLS Rookie of the Year. Uh, Benji Hoya, um, we are fortunate to get him. Um, Dilly Duca, who's still young-ish, and uh, he's been hurt. Um, so yeah, we have a lot of youth there, and I think once they start to gel, it's going to be a pretty dynamic team. But we're still really missing that one guy in the middle, that number ten, that can tie everyone together. Um, you know, we we're kind of hoping it was a younger Alex. He's young too, but he's very. It seems like hit or miss. He'll either have a, a you know a pretty good game or a pretty bad game. Um, you either you keep thinking, God, what's he doing? Or, man, he's looking pretty good today. There's no middle ground. So we still don't have that guy to pull the strings in midfield, which we haven't since Sebastian Grazini left, you know, amid uh, some controversy here a couple years ago. Um, so that's kind of my hope for the summer, to sign someone. I know, you know, other people have set a striker, but McGee has dropped back deeper this year, so he hasn't had as many opportunities. Um, so pushing him up further would help. Plus, Quincy Ameripa, I mean, has proven himself. He's stepping into games, I mean, multiple times this year. I'm thinking to myself, he's clearly the hardest worker on the pitch. He makes things happen. He's scoring goals. So, you know, as long as he keeps it up, him and McGee can be pretty dangerous. It's just a matter of getting the wings um, involved and getting them more comfortable and funneling the ball through the middle of uh, middle of the pitch rather than playing counter all the time or long ball. And, uh um, so that's kind of my hope, what we see transpire as the year goes on. And if we bring in some people in the summer, it's with that thought in mind to build that sort of attacking team. Now, is Quincy an American? Uh, no. I'm trying to think where he's actually from. It's right off the top of my head right now. I, I, I can't think. Um, but uh, I mean, you're seeing what I'm yeah. saying with the last name. I, you're seeing what I'm saying with the last name. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I don't believe so, but uh, um, yeah, he's. It, it's been great. I mean, you know, he wasn't a big name you throw around thinking, okay, you know, this is quite an impact signing for the fire. But you know, he he contributed a couple big goals last year, and like I said, this year he's just been tearing it up and. You know, he's taking the opportunity and running with it, which is what we need from everyone. So, you know, we still need to work on the defensive side of the ball. The back line has been shaky. You know, while it, I would say it hasn't been as catastrophic as much of last year, it's still a lot of room for improvement. Um, you know, defensive midfield side of things could still use a little bit of work. But, you know, I mean, the youth movement is nice. I mean, even in a year where we, you know, you may not be an MLS Cup contender, like the Cubs. You know, you at least have some kids coming up that you hope you'll be able to watch, but uh, we definitely have to start getting three points. Otherwise, it's going to be another case of having to either, you know, win 10 or 12 in a row to get in the playoffs or sit another year on the side. But overall, very happy with Gallup and Bliss. Um, they fi- I, We finally have people that know what they're doing in the right places to call the shots, which is something we haven't had for quite a while. So um, we're a little bit happy with that at least. Now, if you guys have Newcastle, get your wins out before. Can you guys get your wins out before the last game? Um, yeah, well, I'd like to wrap it up before that at least, you know, and, <laughs> and, and nowhere. And, and that's the problem is, you know, we haven't been able to wrap up the playoff spots the last few years. And, you know, a couple of years ago, kind of backing in the playoffs backwards, you know, we could have had the first or the second seed, and we ended up getting, you know, the, the playoff seed with Houston, and then, of course, I, I kind of had a feeling that would happen. And then, you know, of course, last year. So, 
it's been a bitter pill to swallow for fire fans the last handful of years. So definitely need to turn yeah. in fortune. Yeah, Quincy Ameriquois from Bakersfield. Is he? Really? Okay. Yes. God, he's born there. Wow, okay. That's, Davis. That's, that's my bad. I, I guess I didn't, huh, I did not know that. Yeah, see, I, I've always wanted Jamie Scotland to turn out for Scotland, too, but I, I'm just cheesy. <laughs> like that, so. <laughs> and there, there was a player that played for Norwich years ago named Al, Alan Sunderland, but, and he never played for oh, Sunderland. Right. I keep looking at this going, Why? Because I, I was, I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not like Ryan. I'm not like Hugh and Keith that have have interesting last names. I was born with Stephen Charles Brandt. I mean, I'm not even in the phone book here in Buffalo, and there's there's two pages of S. Brandt's for God's sake. So, oh wow. Anyway, yeah, there, See, there aren't too many yeah, of me and and and, ba- and there aren't too many of mine where you go and. At least for what I have been told by people in my family, if you're born with the same last name as me, you're related to me one way or another. And uh, that that can cause some problems sometimes, especially when two of us are working for the same company and I'm always getting the emails, even though my name is Keith, a male name, and her name is Rachel, a female name. How you get those two confused is beyond me, but they used to do it all the time at the last place I worked. <laughs> Well, obviously, well, next week there's going to be a, a position change. I, I'm going to I'm going to be with anesthesia for most of the week because I'm finally going to get my teeth pulled. So uh, ne- next yeah, week, let me, let, me how you, probably, let me know how your day with Anna be, works out. By the way, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm already losing my mind terrible. anyway, but I've been doing that since I was 20. Um, so next next week Ryan's going to be back here at seven thirty, and I'm sh- I'm sure Newcastle will give him enough fits for the end of the end of the out his segment. Um, it's going to be it's going to be Matt Hoffman and Keith Kokinda, and maybe if I could speak next week, it's going to it's going to be me. Um, and I'm sh- I'm sure you've got someone lined up for next week, Keith, or you're probably I'm just going to. I'm working on it, believe. I'm working on it. Uh, I'm not. Uh... I haven't found anybody yet, but I'm still, I'm still trying. I'm hoping I've been uh, one of the people I've been uh, trying to get is uh, Melissa Henderson from FC Kansas City in the NWSL, along with along with uh, some of um, some of Samantha Johnson's teammates at uh, at Chicago Red Stars. I'm not sure I can pull anything off by next week, but but I am definitely working on getting at least one guest for next week's show. That or Rod or that or Rodney Marsh again. Yeah, we're gonna, I'm definitely. I've got. I'm connected here somewhere, whether either on Facebook or LinkedIn. I'll definitely try to try to track what? him down as well. That would be that would be great to get him. We could get uh, yeah, even buddy would... Ted. <laughs> well, the, the, thing, the thing with that, Ryan, Ryan, the thing with Ted is what I'm afraid of is you know, I, you know I've tweeted back and forth him a lot, but what I, the first thing I would tell him is is first of all, Ted. Give me the opportunity to fully explain my position, and I don't think he'd give you the chance. Because yeah, oh, not, I, I agree. It can't. It can't be summed up in 140 characters. And I, the, the one thing, and the one thing I would tell him, and I and, and tell anybody this: if you want to read about you know, what sports economics are really and compared to the rest of the capitalist world, go read up on Andrew Zimbalist. He is arguably North America's leading sports economist. He wrote, He contributed extensively 
to Bob Costas' book, Ball Four, which I know is about baseball, but if you read it, you realize that this is the structure you have to have for a professional sports league. A professional sports league cannot operate on a completely open capitalist system like every other business in America does. Because, and, uh, because, and the main thing is, the main reason is you need the competition. You need mm-hmm. all those other teams because if you because the the primary primary function of a sports league is staging the games. The games everything else stems from that. And in order to have the games, you need two. In order to have the games, you need two teams. So therefore, because of that, those two teams are equal partners in that game, and by extension, every team is an equal partner in that league. I point I point out the ten one time he never responded, but look. What league is the most socialized in North America? What league is the most socialized in terms of revenue sharing? The NFL, right? Mm-hmm. Which league is the most successful based on revenue and media attention? The NFL. Do you really think it's coincidence? It's not. So if people like Bill Beck, Branch, Ricky, Lamar Hunt, and Pete Rosell figured this stuff out a long time ago, that every team in the league has to compete at least on a reasonably equal financial footing for the league to succeed, because the whole league's got to be successful. Because if you're if they're not, then you you have no games. You know, it's mm-hmm. very simple. Seattle Sounders, those forty thousand people are not marching through the streets and going to that stadium if they know there's not another team waiting for Seattle Sounders to play. That, and yep. I, I think these are things. These are things I don't think Ted really understands for whatever reason. And I'm trying to give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt here because I know I, I've likened him to Oliver Stone when this, the guy on the grassy knoll did it along. He kind of show Oliver Stone and the NCAA and because his attitude is, this is the way it ought to be because I say so. You mm-hmm. know, I, I'd love it. I mean, I would love to try to get him to say, okay, what, are your, you know, what is the basis for this? Show me your proof that, uh, that MLS is trying to steamroll other leagues and other teams. What, is, what evidence do you have that shows that they're suppressing other teams from forming or succeeding? You show me the proof of it. If you've got it, great. You've got a great story. You're going to make a big name for yourself. But uh, his, 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 you know, his, his shrillness uh, and the way he presents his arguments makes me think, he wouldn't be willing to engage in an actual back-and-forth debate and try to back up his views with some facts or some reports or some other thing like that to show that he's right. So, but mm-hmm. uh, I, just I, like I, I love to try. Him. I would love to try it. I really would, but I just, I just don't think it would go well. I think he'd just go off on his tangent, call me an MLS bot, say and say whatever he says about me that he says about everybody else, and be and be done with it. And it's just it's just not going to work that way. Yeah, I'd like to give him a little bit of benefit of the doubt and actually you know, engage in a debate with him. At least give him that opportunity to say, okay, here's what I think, you know, here's my position, here's why, here's my evidence to back it up and all that sort of thing. And I, I just, But I just don't think he'd be willing to do that. So I, I'd, you know, it, it, to me, it's easy. Just, just you know, ignore him, let him go. I mean, he still he still mentions me on Twitter every once in a while, which surprised me because I don't think he realized I blocked him. But you know, that's the way it goes sometimes. Yeah, and and, and, self, and selfishly, Ryan, half the reason is I, I want to I want to get the I want to get the views of the show up to like a thousand per per week. So I figure if I mention him enough, so some 
some of the catchy lights are going to be. Are, yeah, exactly. Are, he has like a script set up. Whenever his name is uttered, it tells him who and where and what site or podcast. Yeah, so. that, that, that's all the re- that's the only reason I I mean I, I'm learning my snoozing in, in public and PR and this whole business from Keith. So I figured if I, if I could just tweak Ted a little bit, it's gonna it's gonna get him to explode. It's gonna get Aaron Stolar in DC to lose his ever loving mind, and then Tannewald will lose it. So I I'll get the collective well, trample Aaron, of about Aaron and jo- Aaron and John at least present logical arguments to try to back it up with things. They're not this. I don't put. I don't put either Aaron or John in the same category uh, as Ted in that respect. Oh, I, 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 will, I know. I don't. I don't either. agree with. I don't, I don't either, agree with them all the time, but at least I will. I give them enough credit for having the intelligence. Where I'm willing to at least read what they have to say. Oh yeah, I mean, and I love Stolar. I mean, we were both on his show about God. I think what was that? Three months ago, you and I called into that show. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we both called into a show three months ago about random other stuff, and I think that no, I lo- I love Stolar. Anyway, I wanna I wanna thank everybody for being on Soccer Sam for being on uh, Matt Cox, right? Uh, well, I was call you Ryan Rosenblatt, uh, Ryan Sealock, <laughs> and of course Keith Kokina. I, I know it's way too many Ryans in soccer and in sports. For God's sakes. <laughs> Oh, wait, one really quick thing before I drop off. Next week I may call from Manchester, England, because I'm flying over there to drive party to Old Trafford for his okay. new job. Because I can't stand him anymore. You can have him. You give me a scarf and two soccer balls, and you have a new manager. How about that? Please, please. Yeah, I, I'm looking at the betting list of Skybet. Alan Party's not even listed. Yeah, well, see, there you go. Well, it'll be an inside thing. You'll make a ton oh, of money. Okay. We'll get them off our hands. Then I just have to find a way to get rid of the owner. But, you know, eh, we'll see about that. So. Oh, no, 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 no. Ryan, Ryan, that perfect place for um, Pardew. Perfect place. Burn, burning Atlanta FC. Oh, God. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll go and heckle him if that happens. I will go to a, an Atlanta game just to heckle him. <laughs> make sure you wear your new castle shirt. Exactly, exactly. And an anti-party, like, with his face crossed out, you know, big sign, crazy guy in the crowd. That'll be me. So keep your eye out. Mark my words. Looking, See looking you guys later. Yeah. All right, All right Talk to you guys later. Yep. All right, well, we're actually into overtime now that we're in recording. Well, I'm going to talk to you guys later. Okay.